0: I'm going to take you directly to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. My introduction is uh, pretty direct, pretty straightforward. There are two words in this passage of Scripture that will capture our attention this morning. The first is the word sin, and the second is the word judgment. Sin and judgment. And those two words are not necessarily our favorite words. We don't necessarily want to think about sin, especially our own sin, and we certainly do not want to think about divine judgment. (coughs) Yet that's how Peter begins and that's how he ends this uh, six-verse paragraph. Sin and judgment. The truth is, we need to think about those two things. Because those two things, sin and judgment, are reality. They are real. And we have to face reality, even though we may not want to. And this passage kind of drags us right, right there. We have learned from the apostle Peter that he likes to say some things a little differently. And uh, you have to stay with him and think with him. It's not just, it's not that he uses different vocabulary It's that he uses the same kinds of words, but in a different way. And so I invite you as we think together about these six verses to do just that. Think together with me and with Peter as to what he's actually saying. And in particular, what he has to say about sin on the one hand and judgment on the other. So I read 1 Peter chapter four, verses one to six. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices us, excuse me, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now when I come to a passage like this, I confess to you that uh, this is kind of a difficult passage of scripture. Some passages, it seems to me, are just very obvious in... And you can just kind of flow uh, with the surface meaning, the obvious meaning of the words. But I, I'm gonna be honest with you, when I come to some of these verses, some of these expressions, it's kind of like, wow, Peter, what did you say? What did you mean, Etc. <clears throat> One thing is very obvious here. Peter is talking about sin. And Peter is talking about judgment. He begins with sin, ends with judgment. And somehow in the middle, (laughs) in the middle, he throws in another word, which is suffering. And so I want to think about all of that. And I'd like you to think with me about all of that. And honestly, I think the best way to get at this is just kind of take it verse by verse by verse and stick with him. I'm going to take us to a couple of uh, cross-references as well, which I think will help us, but here we go. He says, verse one, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. That is, arm yourself with the same attitude or arm yourself with the same mindset. That is, the same mindset that Christ had He depicts this in terms of a military weapon. Arm yourself with a, with a kind of armor. Make up your mind as Christ made up his mind. Now, again, this is a strange way to come at it, in my opinion. It seems to me that what Peter is saying is that our Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, he came to suffer, He suffered for our sin. And that is what he accomplished in his first coming and now he is done dealing with sin. And just as the Lord Jesus Christ is done dealing with sin, you and I are supposed to be done dealing with sin in our lives. That's the mindset, that's the attitude we are to have toward sin. Perhaps another way to say the same thing. Be done with sin. Realize what sin did to our Lord Jesus Christ. Realize the suffering that it caused him and put him through at the cross. Just realize the price that Jesus paid for our sin and make up your mind to be done with it. Now, first cross-reference. Come with me to the book of Hebrews chapter nine, Hebrews 9, 27. A passage that contrasts the first coming of Christ with the second coming of Christ and uh, as you you may know in the book of Hebrews uh, every sentence is virtually loaded (laughs) there's all kinds of things there but we'll try to stay with the main point here Hebrews 9 27 he says and um, well verse 26 I'm sorry and you also almost want to have to back, back back up to verse 25 because you get to the beginning of the sentence, so I might as well do that. He says, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood uh, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him." When Jesus came the first time, he came to deal with sin. But he's done. He has completed that work of dealing with our sin. And with the same mentality and with the the same definiteness, you and I are to be done with sin. Now I'm going to take you back to 1 Peter, to an earlier verse, 1 Peter 2.24, I think a very familiar verse, and uh, particularly the first half of the verse we are very familiar with. We kind of skip over the latter part, and I'm not, I don't want to do that this time. 1 Peter 2 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, why did he do that? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. You and I are supposed to die to sin That is, if I understand it correctly, we are to be dead to the allurements of sin in our lives. Sin is very attractive. Sin is very pleasant. Sin is very appealing. But you and I as God's people are to make up our mind and to realize that we are dead to sin and to its allurements in our lives. But that's a strange concept to to me, and I think to most of us, to be dead indeed to sin. What does that mean anyway? The other night, um, I forget which night it was, perhaps Thursday night, there was quite a storm in our area. It was in the middle of the night and someone told me, "Well, the wind was blowing, and there was lightning, and there was thunder, and I was asleep. <laughs> I was dead to the world. <laughs> we use that expression, do we not I'm dead to the world i didn't i didn't hear I didn't hear it at all i I got up the next morning thought, well my the lawn was wet and There were some branches down, not big ones, little branches down on the lawn and little leaves scattered around. And and I'm thinking, oh, we must have had a storm in the night. I was dead to the world. (laughs) Well, that means basically I was totally unaware of what was going on around me. And to be dead to sin means that we are totally unaware of the allurement of sin in our lives. And we are living beyond its reach. That's that's how Peter begins. Think, be done with sin. Even as Jesus is done with dealing with sin in his first coming, when he comes back again, he's not coming to deal with sin. He's coming to show who he really is and to judge. And, and that's kind of where Peter will end up, talking about judgment. Okay, that was verse one, verse two. So as to live in the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Hmm. I take it that what Peter is saying here is that as a believer in Christ, someone who is dead to sin, someone who has, as we'll see in a moment, someone who has embraced the gospel of Christ, the most important thing to us in life now is God's will. We want, we want to live and do whatever he wants us to do. And we want to steer clear from any kind of sin that he, he wants us to steer clear of. God's will, that's the most important thing in my life. And I'm gonna take you to a cross reference for that. Uh, Paul said it, I think well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll follow me there for a moment, I appreciate that. Second Corinthians chapter five. And verse nine. nine, second Corinthians five and verse nine. Describing life, he says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice that theme of judgment kind of cropping up here every once in a while. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. But I'm I'm interested in this expression. We make it our aim to please him. Our goal is not to please ourselves. Our goal is not to live in the passions of our own lusts, as we did before we were saved. Our, Our goal is not to please each other or other people, but our goal is to please Him. That's what Peter means when he says uh, we want to live for the will of God, not for ourselves and not for others, but for God. We want to please him. So rather than verse one, pleasing ourselves, living sinfully, he says we want to please the Lord and live for his will, living as sinlessly as we possibly can. That is a challenge to me. I hope you feel the tension of that because I don't know exactly how to say this, but it seems to me that sin is so deep in our DNA that there's a sense in which we can hardly keep from sinning. But, in Christ and by the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and because we have a brand new nature and in Christ we have, we have died to sin and it's allurement. We can live holy lives and we can please Him. Verse three for the time that is past suffices us suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now he lists these sins here, particular sins, and, and I think I'm safe in saying rather public kinds of sins. Peter is saying, now, now look, you used to live like this before you were saved, before you embraced that gospel of Christ. In the, in the time past of your life, you have spent enough time in sin. Now, as the title of the message suggests, it's time to be done. <laughs> it's time to be done with this kind of sin. And some of us are very familiar with these words, these kinds of words, and this lifestyle. <coughs> Have you, now, I was, I was a person who went from the hospital nursery <laughs> to the church nursery. And, and I was raised in a believing home. And as a youngster, I, I was shielded from all kinds of sinful Passions and parties and lusts and things like that. And some of you are, are, have that same Christian experience from childhood. I shouldn't say this out loud, but sometimes I almost regret that. <laughs> it's almost like, not, not what have I missed, but I, I wish I had more of a contrast in my life. So that, you know, it used to be like this, and then you met Christ, and boom, everything is different. And but I don't have that in my, in my personal experience. But some of you do. And Peter's readers had that kind of a dramatic experience. This is the way you used to be living, and it's time to be done with all that now. Talking about sin. And if you wanted to characterize or categorize those particular sins, uh, they have something to do with sex, sexual kinds of sins. They have something to do with alcohol, drinking, drunkenness, and they have something to do with idolatry. Those three categories of sins here sexual kinds of things, alcohol and its drinking parties, that kind of stuff, and idolatry. He said, Some, you, you, you used to live in all of that. That was normal for you. But now, now that you have come to Christ, you, you need to be done with that, period. Now he's not quite done. Notice the next verse. Verse four, with respect to this, they are surprised. That is the, your friends, uh, the ones who knew you before you were saved, <laughs> your drinking buddies. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So when you, I want to use the word, when you abstain from those sins that you used to do, and your friends recognize the difference, say, oh, you're not going to the parties anymore, you're not fooling around with women anymore. and they insult you, the word is slander you, they malign you. And now Peter is gonna come to his, uh, what I call his sub theme, you're gonna suffer. Those people who were your friends, you thought they were your friends and now they are criticizing you because you're no longer going to the parties and you're no longer sinning with them. And you're going to start suffering for it. Remember Peter's sub theme, first suffering, then glory. And sometimes the dramatic change in a person's life when they meet Christ, it's like, whoa, I don't do that anymore. I don't go there anymore. I don't talk like that anymore. And your friends, perhaps I should say former friends, notice the difference. But they're not complimenting you. They're criticizing you. And they are slandering you. And they're saying things like, oh, I see you've got religion. You're a goody two-shoes. You're too good to run with us anymore. That, that kind of slamming of people. Peter says, that's okay, that, that's gonna happen. But then verse five, we're just kind of sticking with him. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's what I meant when I said the passage kind of starts with sin and it ends up in judgment, and that's, that's where we are. Those folks who are maligning you, those folks who are making light of the, of the change in your life, those folks will face judgment. God is ready, that's the term he uses, God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Perhaps uh, the question should be raised at this point, are we ready to face that kind of judgment? God is ready to judge the living and the dead what are you going to do about your sin and are you really ready to stand before god and give an account to him etc so even though unsaved people may make fun of christians they will ultimately stand before god and they are going to be judged by him for what they do and say And it's true for the Christian too, we also are going to stand and we are going to be judged by God. And that's why I say to you, not just that this passage is about sin and judgment, but but that life itself is about sin and judgment. And then finally, verse six. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Wow. (laughs) My mind, okay, okay, Peter, what are you saying here? What is... What in the world, do you ever feel that way? This is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. Now, as you might guess, there are various interpretations as to what those words mean. The gospel being preached to those who are dead. There are those who say, okay, this is a, um, this is Peter's way of saying that even though people die, physically die, they will have a second opportunity to receive the gospel and be saved after death. The gospel is preached to those who have, have died to the dead. It would be nice In my view, in my, I I hope I'm being humane when I say it. It would be nice if people had a second chance to be saved after death. You would think that after death and, and hell and so on, that they would kind of wake up and say, oh, I need to be saved and I was wrong when I refused the gospel, so I'll be saved now. There's only one, not just one, but there's one big problem with that. (laughs) And that is the verse we read there in Hebrews in chapter nine. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. Not a second chance, (laughs) bang, bang. (laughs) wants to die after that, the judgment. In other words, death is final. Decisions made before death are final. And there's no opportunity then to change them. And I am reminded of the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man who went to hell, do you remember that? And the rich man was tormented in the flames. And he said, send Lazarus that he can just uh, dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. You know, I am tormented in this flame. And uh, the answer was essentially, I'm sorry. I cannot send Lazarus to do that for you. He can't come to you. And Jesus says, and you, you can't come to us you are finally in that place of torment and there's no change. Those are hard but true words. So so when Peter talks here about preaching the gospel to the dead, he's not gonna contradict Jesus. <laughs> so what does he mean? <laughs> It's not enough to know what he doesn't mean, but what does he mean anyway? Well, there's a second way of looking at it. There are those who say, well, when he talks here about preaching the gospel to the dead, he's talking about preaching to those who are spiritually dead, physically alive, but spiritually dead. And it it is true that the Apostle Paul in another place describes all unsaved people as dead, doesn't he? We are all dead in trespasses and in sins. We are spiritually separated from God, etc. And if God doesn't reach through and break into us, you know, we're we're history. Uh, and and we are spiritually dead apart from Christ. That is the truth. And it's possible that that's what Peter has in mind here. But to be honest about it, I don't think so. To introduce that whole idea of being spiritually dead is a rather foreign concept to introduce into this context, into this flow of thinking. Especially there when you note, note again in verse five, where it says God is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then in the very next verse, we're gonna preach the gospel to the dead. It's like, oh, wait a minute. These are physically dead people, not spiritually dead people. So, so you gotta stay with the flow of, of his wording, it seems to me. So what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> I understand him to be simply saying this, that we preach the gospel to people who are going to die. And it is their reception of the gospel that makes all the difference once we die. Can I say that again? We preach the gospel to people who are going to die. They will be physically dead someday. My friends, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next, I wanna say 30, 40 years, the vast majority of us will be dead. Right? That's hard to think about. I don't like to think about it. I'm only 80. (laughs) I don't like to think about it. But if, if he doesn't come back in the next 25, 30 or so years, we're all going to be in a cemetery somewhere and we are going to be physically dead. And we are going to face judgment for our sin. That's reality. That is life, that is why when you come to church, you ought to hear something about sin and about judgment and about salvation. But we preach the gospel to those who are going to die because that gospel makes all the difference in the world when you die. It makes all the difference in the world When you die, think about what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That sounds like so much gobbledygook. That is the truth. So that even though we die physically and our body goes into the grave, we will live forever. And we will have eternal life because of the gospel. Because while we were physically alive, Somebody told us the good news of Christ and the Spirit of God moved in our hearts and we welcomed that gospel and we were saved from our sin by that gospel. And that gospel prepares us to face the judgment of God and we hear and we love with what Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, so we face death and we face judgment with confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And we have received while still alive this wonderful news so that when we die, we have nothing to fear. Now, can I take you back there for just one minute? Verse six again, this is why the gospel was preached to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are judged, they might live, key word there, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You see, when you go to a cemetery, have you ever, you go to cemeteries? (laughs) When you go to a cemetery, you look all around at these tombstones and you say, they're all dead. They're history. They have lived their life. They've done the good, the bad, the ugly. And, and uh, it's all the same. They all died. It's kind of like the writer to the, of Ecclesiastes said, you know. He's kind of lamenting the, the same thing happens to all, the good and the, the wicked. And, you know, you die like a dog and they, they bury the dogs or they bury people. And it, it's just kind of the way, f- watch it now, from a human viewpoint, it looks like the same. Death is a great leveler. And we're all gonna just be six feet under and no real difference. The, that's the human viewpoint. But from the divine viewpoint, he says, no, 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 no. When you embrace that gospel, that changes everything. I have in my hand this morning a folder that's called Dodd's Memorials. Those of you who live in Xenia or are familiar with Xenia, you know that's the place in town where they make tombstones. This week, Pat and I went to Dodd Memorials and we ordered our tombstone. Now, I want to tell you, that is a strange feeling. (laughs) That is not a happy feeling. And I think I put it off as long as I could. As I said, I'm only 80. (laughs) But when you go and look at our tombstone someday, that's an artist's rendering of what it will look like. Don't look too closely and don't wait, don't long to see it, Don't, don't, (laughs) don't do that. I don't want you to get too close, but uh, I didn't want to get too close myself. But the, you see the word war in there and all the details are there. But there are two things on that um, tombstone that we wanted to be sure were there. If you were to look closely, you can see three crosses there. Do you know what makes the difference in life and in death? the cross. Not our work, not our goodness, not our merit as we sing, but what Jesus did. When my body is entombed and someone comes by my grave in years to come, I want them to see first of all the cross and to understand what Jesus did there at the cross for us. Who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree. Jesus paid for my sin. I'll say it again, and that makes all the difference in life and in death. And the other part that I want people to see is right underneath that. It's a partial verse, not the whole verse. But it says this, for God so loved the world. And we can finish it. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Judgment, hell, a a, a final place of torment, should not perish, but rather have everlasting life. So that when people go to a cemetery, they can say, no, wait a minute. It looks like all of these people experience the very same thing. No. Because of Jesus. Forgiveness and eternal life. Because while we were alive, (laughs) we embraced the gospel. I hope you've done that. I hope you understand the power and the necessity of the gospel. When I use that word embrace, (laughs) you think I'm crazy? I'm not, well I may be. Uh, When I use that word embrace, because I worked with college students for many years, I, I always think of college roommates who haven't seen one another for weeks or a couple of months, maybe, you know, part of May and June and July. And finally, they get back together uh, on the campus. And the first time they see one another on campus, they kind of just go, "Roomie!" And they throw their arms around each other. Uh, that's what the girls do. Not, <laughs> not, probably not the guys, but the, the girls do that roomy and they just welcome oh and that's what we should do with the gospel open your arms and embrace the good news of christ that makes a difference not only in this life and perhaps even more importantly in the next Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, To be honest, Lord, this this paragraph is kind of difficult, and Peter uh, looks at things in a different way than I might normally do. And yet he does not contradict uh, other parts of Scripture. It it fits. And, And so I pray that each one of us, in the privacy of our own heart and life, We'll realize that in Christ we are dead to sin and we we just need to be done with it in this life. And and Lord, help us to realize just how, how wonderfully you have prepared us to face judgment without fear, with confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And as Jesus said, whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Help us not only to try to understand that, but to believe it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.